The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. After today's news headlines, and let's get blunt, my guest is best-selling author of Malibu Burning and his new book, Roos, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street, Robert Kerbeck. So stay tuned. Here are some news headlines from this morning and over the weekend. At least two people have been killed and 60 more are feared dead after Russian bombs hit a school in the Ukrainian village of Bilahorivska, governor of the Luhansk region said on Sunday. He said that Russia dropped a bomb on Saturday afternoon on the school where about 90 people were sheltering, causing a fire that engulfed the building. 30 people have been rescued. A University College London scientist has accused lawyers in the U.S. of misusing his groundbreaking work on the brain to justify the dismantling of Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that legalized abortion nationally in America. Gian Domenico Leonetti said his research, which used imaging to understand the adult brain's response to pain, had been wrongly interpreted to make an anti-abortion argument. Last week, an unprecedented leak of a draft legal opinion showed the majority of Supreme Court judges support overturning Roe v. Wade and ending federal protections for abortions in a move that could result in 26 states banning it. The court is considering a case, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which challenges Mississippi's ban on abortion after 15 weeks gestation. Governor Gavin Newsom on Wednesday morning discussed his administration's efforts to protect abortion rights in California. Flanked by more than a dozen Planned Parenthood supporters, the governor delivered his remarks at one of the organization's facilities in South Los Angeles. Newsom insisted that California will remain a beacon of hope for women across the U.S. seeking abortions or other reproductive health care that could be barred in other states. He urged voters to wake up and recognize that basic rights are under attack. I just want to share and add my voice to the voice of quite literally tens of millions, hundreds of millions uh, of Americans and express my outrage uh, about the decision the Supreme Court uh, appears to have made as it relates to rolling back uh, our constitutional rights. The rights have been well established and affirmed over and over again uh, for close to half a century. It's a remarkable moment. Uh, I remember receiving from my staff uh, Ann Patterson, my legal secretary, uh, that political article, uh, and I said, is this the onion? Is this actually happening? Is this true? Uh, I honestly felt that way. In so many ways it was predictable, but when you actually saw that decision, you started to flip through it, uh, it's just a remarkable moment in American history. Uh, at a time when countries around the world are expanding liberties, expanding freedoms, expanding rights, here we are in this United States of America about to roll back rights. Entire history of the Constitution has been about the expansion of rights. The entire history of the United States has been about expanding rights, not restricting rights, not rolling back rights. And this Supreme Court is poised to roll back constitutionally protected rights. And don't think for a second, don't think for a second, this is where they stop. And if you think it affects 
someone else over there. This is about you. If the right to privacy is not foundational, they're coming after you. They are. Fill in the blank. Who, who is you? It's us. It's all of us. Across a spectrum of issues. You think for a second, same-sex marriage is safe in the United States of America? Give me a break. You heard an Indiana senator, United States senator, not retired, a current senator, U.S. senator, start talking about Loving versus Virginia. I'm actually old enough to remember that Loving decision was determined in my lifetime. Blacks couldn't marry whites in the United States of America. And he actually suggested, because that's unenumerated in the Constitution, that that should be on the docket for the U.S. Supreme Court. Just think about that for a second. <laughs> and you don't have to think that far back. I'll never forget. You look at the lower court decision in the Loving case, I'll never forget the decision. The judge, when sentencing Richard Loving to prison, said, God, sir. God never wanted the races to mix, because God put different races on different continents, he said, for a reason. That was the judge's decision. How far removed are we from that kind of thinking today with this current Supreme Court? I'm serious. How far away, how far removed are we from that kind of thinking with this current majority on the U.S. Supreme Court? But it's not just the Supreme Court. Just think about what President Trump did during his just four years as president, 231 federal judges, 84%, 84% white, 76% male, young federal judges, 54 of them on the appellate court. This is not just about the three on the U.S. Supreme Court. Pay attention, America. They're coming after you next. That's not hyperbole. It is not hyperbole. Watch this space. If privacy is not constitutionally protected, this opens up panoply of issues. So this is a profound moment. And yes, we're not going to be defeated. Certainly not here in the state of California. In fact, we are going further. And while it's well established in statute since 2002 that we are reproductive freedom state, we are going to enshrine that, codify that, as we should in the state constitution. And I want to just applaud the leadership in the Assembly and the Senate, Tony Atkins, Anthony Rendon, for not only supporting that effort, but embracing it in partnership with Planned Parenthood and its affiliates. And we'll be presenting that to the voters this November as an affirmative step to codify California's leadership. I want to remind folks, we are the, not just the richest state, fifth largest economy in the world, $3.36 trillion economy. We're the most populous state and the most diverse state in the world's most diverse democracy. And we punch above our weight. This is not a small isolated state, California. This is a state where we estimate 8.6 million California residents are of reproductive age. 8.6 million. That's more than dozens of states combined consequences of what do we do here is profound and pronounced. And nor are we naive what to expect, not just with the dozen or so states that have these trigger laws and the likelihood anywhere from 25, 26 or so states, the majority of states in America may roll back 
these prenatal protections and criminalize doctors, criminalize caregivers, criminalize women. But we recognize California's unique status to stand above that and stand tall and stand out. And our responsibility, we've always felt it, our responsibilities to others, not just to the few 40 million proud Californians, but to others. And so we'll have to do more, we'll have to do better. And we've been doing that. We've not sat back passively. We've been anticipating, sadly, we've been anticipating this. In fact, we just sat down, I, I said, we had a meeting, I think it was six or seven months ago. We laid this out and not one, every single thing that's happened has happened. I guess we just didn't know it was illegal. We knew it was part of it. So we've been preparing. We've been doing more so we can do better. Protect the health, protect the safety of women and girls, particularly those of color. And let's just disabuse ourselves. And all those men out there, fancy suits, all their wealth and status and privilege, because their loved ones, their family members, can get on Southwest or JetBlue and come with one of those blue states. But how about those folks that can't even afford a Greyhound bus ticket? How about all of those women and girls raped in states where they don't even make an exception for rape? Talk about extremists. Rape and incest. That's how extreme the Republican Party is in the United States of America. You want extremism. Rape and incest. They don't even make an exception. How many young women and girls, maybe someone you know or love, finds out six weeks and a day later, 15 weeks and a day later, that they're pregnant? They don't have the ability money to come to another state. It's not about strengthening the family. I'll end on this. I also find it just the height of perversity and absurdity that these folks, A, lay claim to freedom, but perhaps more insidiously suggest that they're pro-life. When every single one of these folks that are out there trumpeting and championing this decision have consistently opposed prenatal care support, consistently opposed child care, consistently opposed paid family leave, consistently oppose all things to actually strengthen the family and provide the support for someone to live their lives out loud, to support working moms, consistently, the one group of people that over and over and over again oppose all of those supports and they claim to be pro-life, they're pro-birth. That's all this is about. It's the pro-birth party. And then you are on your own, consistently opposing all of those supports. Hell, they don't even believe in climate science. Talk to me about being pro-life. Spare me. Your body, your choice. It's a hell of a moment to live in. But like you say, we will not be defeated. We will stand tall, we will stand firm, and we will affirm the constitutional, currently constitutionally protected rights of women and girls, their reproductive rights and freedoms in California. 
And we will assert ourselves, as I said, as Californians by punching above our weight, working with other like-minded leaders and governors and legislatures all across this country. And we're not going to roll over. We will not back down. And we will continue to fill in the gaps and address the disparities that continue to persist even in a state like ours. Even in California, even in California, women and girls still have to travel long distances to access their reproductive rights. Even in California, even in California, though we're changing it, you still have women and girls that can't afford the copays for procedures and care. That will change in January, even in California. Can you imagine how so many others are suffering in all these other states? So this is a, a powerful moment. Uh, personally, four young kids, I had to explain to my kids. I, can, I, I had some other friends of mine said I had a hard conversation because the first conversation, very young kids, about what Roe is and what, what privacy is choice. Those are hard conversations with young kids. But the conversations we're all having that we prayed we never would have to have because we thought we were living in a country that was expanding freedoms and choice and providing sanctity not only of those decisions to be advanced in privacy but also protecting people's right to privacy as a foundational principle in our democracy and republic. So I'm grateful for all the incredible work of Planned Parenthood and all its 108 affiliates in the state of California. I'm really proud of our legislature, proud of our legislative leadership. We look forward to going in front of the voters, affirming this constitutional right uh, in our state, in the Constitution, not just statute, because we now recognize the vulnerability of the moment we're living in and continue to work with others all across this country and continue uh, our efforts to call out the hypocrisy uh, that we see across this nation. Guys, this is never happened in our lifetime. They're taking away rights that have been affirmed over and over again and well-established. They are taking them away. Wake up, America. Wake up to who you're electing. I love, I love that appalling silence. Uh, it's all about, it's this headline of this leak, this leak, the right to privacy against leaks, I guess, that matter more than the damn decision that is apparently pending. They have a hard time even defending this moment when they're wholly responsible for this moment. And so I hope people uh, hold these elected officials into account or to account, and I hope they consider the positions of those they are supporting uh, or opposing in this election. And I, I certainly hope it has an impact, but that's not what this should be about foundationally because it's so much more profound than just a situational election. I think, you know, it's, it's always the moments like this, what are you going to do next? But I really think it's important to talk about what we've been doing pretty consistently. I mean, no other state in the union is doing more to protect women's reproductive health and rights. And that's why I wanted to reflect back on the work we were doing in anticipation of this, because it led to a series of initiatives and bills, led to a new task force that was created, went to a series of recommendations, including dealing with co-pays that we enshrined in our budget that will go into effect in January, and went to the expansion of support for providers, supplemental 
support, half a billion dollars that we provided uh, to support our caregivers, went to part and parcel of our $1.7 billion workforce ask of the legislature because we have issues of recruiting and retaining health care workforce. Uh, it's gone to a series of other recommendations that are going through a legislative process and a budget where just in two weeks I'll be putting out, for example, supports for a new portal, a new website to provide culturally competent access to people across the spectrum so that they know their rights and they know uh, where those supports lie in the state. So we are initiating all of the above in ways that no other state has ever done. We also, and it's important to know, and I want to be sensitive about this, but when people come in for care, we take care of them, period. That goes to your question. Regardless of their ability to pay, regardless of their status across the spectrum, and that's been well-established here in the States, a principle we hold dear. And I should just note um, the 108 affiliates of Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood provide care for about 1.4 million folks, meaning this is not just about the issues uh, of abortion it's across the spectrum. Thousands and thousands of people seeking care from outside the state, not just for abortion as well, that we're already providing. And so that's baked into who we are and what we do. And to the extent that that need will grow, uh, as a dozen or 20 plus states uh, restrict that access, California uh, will do its best to provide for as many people as we can. Has anyone been paying attention to what the hell's happened in this country in the last six, nine months? No one paid attention to what that guy DeSant DeSantis or something, Santos, is doing in Florida? The attacks on the LGBTQ community? I mean, they're going after now social-emotional learning. I mean, CRT, I mean, just completely made up out of whole cloth. I mean, if there was any state that has CRT, I guess they could figure out it wasn't happening in California. So now it's about social-emotional learning. They're coming after that next. They're banning books. They're banning books. This is 2022. Anyone paying attention? What the hell's going on? It's not just about January 6th. Voter suppression, private police forces. Can you imagine having a private police force to send down to LA to make sure we're make, monitoring local elections? This is extremism at a scale level I've never, I've never experienced in my lifetime. Wake up, America. That's all this is about. Wake up. And so I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm a future ex-governor, guy with four kids. Wake up. And I say that as a father. I say that as a Californian, as an American. Wake up. America. Ballots for the primary elections are now in the mail to every registered voter and can soon be submitted at drop boxes across the city or sent back by mail. Recent polling from the UC Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies shows that Congresswoman Karen Bass and billionaire Rick Caruso statistically tied with others far behind. Notably, nearly four in ten likely voters said that they were undecided. Unless one candidate wins more than 50% of the primary vote, the top two finishers will square off in November's general election. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Well, it's time to get blunt. So uh, let's get blunt about Congressman Madison Cawthorn, who has been in the news lately, as you know, uh, for various reasons. But let's go back and you know, discuss how much he reminds me of Trump, uh, a man who has famously said that if he stood on Fifth Avenue with a gun and shot people, 
that people would still vote for him or support him and whatnot. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along those lines, which sort of sadly is is true for some people because apparently there's nothing that President Trump can do for some people to just really uh, look at it objectively and say, well, this man is a, is a corrupt, you know, selfish businessman who used the White House for his own personal gain. But now we have uh, Congressman Calthorne, who kind of reminds me of Trump. Uh, so much of what he's claimed through the years, even from the time before he was a congressman, um, uh, has come out to be lies. Claims about his uh, wanting to be in the Navy when he was already rejected um, and so many other things we've had. There was a petition by 150 of his college buddies um, and not just buddies, but just people who went to college with him talking about uh, his sexual uh, predatory behavior and such. He has been caught with a gun that he's taken to the airport twice. He has had his driver's license suspended. Um, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And yet, uh, you know, some people in North Carolina um, still support him. The hypocrisy of all all of this is that had he been a Democrat, uh, the Republicans would have uh, wanted him recalled and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. This would have been sort of on Fox News 24-7. And yet... You still have people from the right supporting him, no matter what, including the, the fact that he's made racist remarks and he's supported the insurrection, an attack on our government and our nation, um, supports President Trump, although, you know, we, it's clear, I mean, the only president that's been impeached twice in history. Which brings me to the sort of the biggest hypocrisy of it all. Now, Congressman Calthorne has made some questionable and offensive comments about the LGBTQ community, and yet we are seeing more and more um, sort of images and footage, whatnot, of him in, again, questionable situations. Now, I, I don't care if he's gay or straight or bi or whatever, or if he likes to do drag or cross-dress, it's none of my business and it shouldn't be anyone else's and it doesn't, uh, it shouldn't affect his um, work as a uh, congressman. But uh, the hypocrisy comes when, you know, someone says something from a podium under the spotlights and then they do something completely different. I also don't think that anyone should be outed that's a very personal decision and it's nobody's business if someone wants to live in the closet for their entire life it's their decision and their business and it should be respected unless they are a high profile public figure like the congressman who um, goes against the queer community the lgbtq community Uh, and then we see these videos of him engaged with um uh, sexual provocative and sexual nature um, acts, if you will, uh, with um, someone who works with him or for him, I should say, um, and uh, others that we haven't really cleared as to what the nature is. But the bottom line is, these are the types of videos that if a congressman who was a, a Democrat 
um, had made and it been leaked, uh, it would have been a much bigger deal. But a lot of the right wing Republicans, they just, um, you know, they, they just want to support him no matter what, because uh, he preaches to their narrative. Um, so it's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, we'll see what happens there. There's obviously an ethics uh, investigation on him. In fact, a lot of his colleagues have come out against him, uh, which is a which is a first. And I think part of that is the fact that he made comments um, about having been invited to orgies and uh, been offered cocaine and such. And a lot of Republicans turned against him because he thought, you know, they thought that he was uh, sort of crossing a line, etc. We don't know how much of that is true or not. Uh, it remains to be seen, but uh, yeah, this is a this is a very <laughs> this is a very sort of familiar territory of uh, an elected official who just breaks rules and breaks laws and is just really belligerent, and yet uh, he still gets quite a lot of support. So let's just um, see what happens, and uh, let's uh, continue to be blunt. Let's get blunt. The blunt post with Vic. Robert Kerbeck is the founder of the Malibu Writer's Circle. He is also the best-selling author of Malibu Burning, the real story behind LA's most devastating wildfire. Robert's new book, Roos, Lying the American Dream, From Hollywood to Wall Street, is an insider's look at the billions corporations spend every year spying on each other, often using unethical and illegal means. Good morning, Robert. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, you're riding high with your, with your book, which is Roos. Uh, Roos lying, lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street, which is a very clever name instead of living, but lying. Um, I read some great reviews about it. Um, you know, in, in major publications. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. My, I think my favorite publication was the Armenian Weekly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And we'll talk about that too, your, your Armenian roots. Um, but first, I want to talk about like the book and what inspired it because it's really, it's, it's just really fascinating. Uh, you know, you were this successful, uh, you are this successful actor who decided to sort of uh, explore this whole other side career of sort of being a quote unquote spy mm. uh, for corporations to get info and give them a, you know, uh, I don't know, give them a lead or give them a, um, a way into the competition, et cetera. So I'm going to stop there and let you really talk about uh you know, the genesis of this book and, and how you got into what you were doing that inspired this book. Sure, sure. Well, uh, my hometown is Philadelphia, and um, my family is, um, the Kerbeck family is very well known in the automobile business. Uh, my great-grandfather, Garabed Kerbekian, came over from um, Arabgir in, um, you know, what was, uh, you know, the Ottoman Empire, and um, he escaped um, one of the early massacres and came to America and sold horse carriages in Philadelphia before cars were invented. And he was a very smart man. He saw the writing on the wall. And so he switched to selling cars. 
And then my grandfather took over that business. Then my father took over that business. And I was expected to take over that business. And one of the reasons he dropped the IAN is because, of course, um, we know Armenians have been subject to a lot of uh, discrimination and prejudice. And so especially in those early days in Philadelphia, he felt like his business would have a better chance of succeeding if it was just Kerbeck which kind of had a German sound. And back then in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Philadelphia was very German. And, and for, so, and, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I just want yeah. to make sure people understand what we're talking about. Uh, Armenian last names uh, almost always have an ending of I-A-N or Y-A-N. So that's what Robert's talking about, uh, the I-A-N being dropped uh, uh, in his family for his last name. So, uh, and mine was also, mine wasn't dropped intentionally. It was a, uh, a butcher shop, but whole other story. So go ahead, continue, please. <laughs> well, we, we can hear that one too, because you know, cars and butcher shops, there's a lot of interesting gossip that goes on in those two places. Right. right. Um, so yeah, so I was expected to take over the dealership. And um, when I graduated college, um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and I'd gotten involved in the theater there and I just kind of fell in love with acting. Um, but I didn't know anybody that had ever been an actor or tried to be an actor. And so when I graduated college, I went to work at the dealership and uh, I just found it wasn't for me, um, you know, kind of car sales. There's some, you know, trickery that goes in, go, goes on with that. And, and it just didn't feel right for me. So I finally moved to New York to become an actor. And of course, you know, actors need survival jobs. They need a day job to pay the bills while they're trying to get work. Right. And who stumbles into a job as a corporate spy but that's exactly what happened. Uh, a buddy of mine had this job. He was very mysterious about it. He kind of wouldn't tell me what it was. And I, I said, look, I need a job. You know, please, can you help me out? Can you recommend me? So he recommend, recommended me. And I went and I met with this woman who, whose firm it was. And she lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And she had this luxurious apartment and this doorman building. And as soon as I walked into the apartment, you know, everything was white and fancy and spotless. I said, this woman is making a lot of money. And um, so we do this interview. She never says anything about what the job is, you know, never asks for a resume. Um, it was all very kind of strange. And I left thinking I hadn't gotten the job. And then my buddy called me and said, um, no, she's hired you um, because she hires everyone because no one is able to do this job. It's just too difficult. And I went and started training the next day, and then I very quickly began to see that we were um, creating uh, personas and characters to try to get people at major corporations to tell us stuff that they should not tell us. Wow. And that was, the, that was the beginning of my apprenticeship as a corporate spy. I, I love that there was an actual training for it. You know, <laughs> it was, it's like, you know, it just, it, it's just fascinating. Um, and how long did you do that for? Uh, you know, I did that for many years. For the first years, it was always kind of in the background of my acting. You know, I was only doing this to pay the bills. I wasn't doing this to make a lot of money. Most of the years we were getting $8 an hour, which of course is kind of hysterical now that we were taking so much risk and finding out such incredible secrets about corporations um, and we were doing it all for $8 an hour, but you know, yeah. we were, it was just to support our, our, our love of the arts. Right. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, I worked a lot as an actor in Los Angeles and I, I killed George Clooney on a TV show called sisters. Cause he had to go to this other show you never oh, heard yeah. of called, oh, yeah. called ER, 
um, and, you know, worked with a lot of really, really uh, well-known people and had major roles. Um, and I did a number of pilots, um, but the pilot, I think I did four pilots and none of them got picked up and went to a series. And for anybody who's listening that knows anything about acting is you really need a TV series to kind of to make it and get established uh, and make any real money to, you know, to be able to support yourself. And so at a certain point when my acting career waned, I kind of went deeper into the world of corporate corporate espionage to the point um, there was one moment where um, the authorities thought that me and my buddy uh, were the world's most famous hacker at the time. They thought we were this this hacker that every organization in the world was trying to catch. Oh wow! And we were just we were just actors with the gift of gab. <laughs> but it was still quite scary in that moment in time. Wow. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with best-selling author Robert Kerbeck. So why did you, like, why now? Why did you write the, uh, the book? I mean, of course, it's a silly question. So, of course, if you do something that sort of extraordinary and exceptional, of course, you're, you're going to want to write it because everyone wants to know how it was. But, um, like, what was... What got you to finally like actually write it down and make it a book? Sure. So, you know, um, I, you know, in the book, in Ruse, I go on this journey, you know, and, you know, you see, I had all these different careers and I had, you know, very high moments and then very low moments. And then at one of the lowest moments, I um, start writing uh, again, which, you know, kind of is what I started doing in the beginning. I was an English major in college and when I fell in love with acting and kind of put that on the back burner. And then all of a sudden, many, many years later, I circled back and I started writing and I started getting essays published in magazines and newspapers and, you know, winning some awards. And I always knew corporate spying was fascinating. And uh, one day I wrote something and I read it at a famous, famous writers conference and people flipped out and they just said, nobody's ever written a book about corporate spying. We want to know about this world. Um, you've got to write this book. And so then I did a little, little bit of legwork in terms of researching the statute of limitations for any potential, you know, crimes or infractions I'd committed. And right. I found that by the time the book would be published, the statute of limitations had passed. And so that's why I'm able to, to, to publish the book now. That's an interesting um, factor that I didn't even think about. Uh, of course, you know, that would be a major thing. So how uh, how has the response been? I mean, of course, I've read response from from press and critics and all of that, which is great. But uh, just from just your average person, what sort of feedback are you getting? <laughs> well, I think the average person just cannot believe that this goes on. And when I say goes on, goes on every day. Um, you know, we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. But what most people don't realize is major American corporations are hiring spies every day to spy on each other um, because they all want to know what's going on, uh, what the plans are of companies. You know, uh, you know, are they expanding? Are they contracting? What are the new products? You know, what are the timelines? Who the top people are at firms? What those people are paid? All of that information, basically, I describe it, you know, as imagine in the sports world, if you could have your opponent's playbook, right? And that's what major corporations would hire someone like me to do is get the playbook on their main rivals so that they can, you know, they can beat them. Let me ask you this. Are you, um, are you able to tell me uh, like a couple of like your top examples of bits of information that you gathered that was sort of explosive? 
Sure. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, I could just tell you some interesting stories. So Steve Jobs, for example, mm -hmm. he would not allow his designers to be listed in the Apple directory because he did not want anybody to know who those people were because he didn't want any of his rival companies to poach them, right? To come in and recruit them away, to steal them away. And think about that. If you were able to, um, you know, have contact with the uh, designer of the iPad in the early days of the iPad and you could take that person away, right? What a huge thing that would be. Right. And so that was the kind of information that we were being tasked to find out uh, with was, you know, who were the individuals, the rock stars at major corporations that were creating entirely new products, creating, you know, um, platforms and visions of things that had never existed before. Because again, if you were able to get that person to come to your team, you know, it was just such a game changer. And, and you know, right. and again, sometimes people, it, it's a little hard to understand, but this information to corporations could be worth, forget about millions of dollars, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and on occasion, even billions of dollars. Absolutely. Look at like Zoom or Twitter yeah. or, you know, just name it. Any one of those um, makes sense. That's, it's, it's, it's a lot of like interesting information that sort of makes you think about corporations well makes you think even more about corporations and how sort of dirty it can be correct um, the competition and the the environments of it all this is the blunt post with vic on kpfk 90.7 fm i am your host vic jurami and you're listening to my interview with best-selling author robert kerbeck what's um what's sort of like on your current agenda with the with the book are you touring it are you doing events and you know what's happening yes. with it yeah so i i just came back from an east coast book tour um which was wonderful and um and as a result um and of course you know we're just coming out of covid so uh the you know the book tours the in-person book tours are just kind of getting going again mm -hmm. so when the book first released uh which was the end of february i did a bunch of virtual events mm -hmm. and one of the virtual events i was in conversation with former cia uh, agent and spy Valerie Plame. Yeah. And again, your, your audience may remember Valerie um, is the most famous CIA agent ever outed by her own government. Um, and she was outed by um, individuals in the Bush administration to get back at her husband, you know, you know, with the run up to the Iraq war. And so Valerie um, and I did this virtual event. Uh, Valerie was wonderful and um, amazing. And then people saw that virtual event and they've asked us now to headline a book festival this summer in Woodstock, Vermont uh, called Bookstock. And we're gonna be doing an event together called In From The Cold, where we talk about political spying and corporate spying and the intersection of the two. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Having Valerie you know, on your side, that's such a, that's such a great thing. That's a yeah. good match. Well, she really, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, the the uh, the people that run Bookstock, they wanted Valerie Plame, not Robert Kerbeck, but I'm happy to, to that Valerie's bringing me along. That's awesome. And and there's a TV series in development, correct? Yes. Yes. So, um, again, you know, as as you can imagine, this is a world that's largely unknown. It's kind of a funny world because, you know, anytime you have spies and and people pretending that they're someone that they're not. Um, you know, we used to do accents and create all these insane characters. 
um, to get corporations to give us information because, you know, you would think that the crazier a story was or the crazier a ploy was to get information that the less believable it would be. And it was the exact opposite. The crazier the story was, the more people were like, they would just believe it because it was just too crazy to make it up. And then they would tell you things that they, you know, that they shouldn't be telling you. And so um, uh, this, uh, you know, major Los Angeles production company with many shows on air, uh, they read the book, they loved the book. And so, you know, we have a showrunner attached um, and we just did our first presentation for the studio uh, for the pilot. They loved it. And now we're um, doing, putting the whole first season together. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. You're pretty far along. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun because, you know, one of the things I, when I did, when I wrote Ruse was I wanted to write a book that's a page turner and I wanted to write a book that's fun. And I've been really grateful that a lot of the reviews, even though the book is nonfiction and it's a true story, they've really described it that it reads like a spy novel and it really, it's really suspenseful because you never know what's going to happen and, you know, when the authorities are going to come knocking on my door and when my ploy is going to fall apart. And so, um, and I think that was something that was important to me when I wrote it, because, you know, we were going through COVID. Um, it's been such a difficult time. You know, we've all been shut up and I, I wanted to write something that was fun. I wanted to write something that was fun for people to read. And that's what I also hope with the TV series, that the TV series is going to have a fun energy to it. Yeah, even the even the name is really fun and catchy. Yeah, where yeah. can people uh, purchase it? Yeah, so you know you can go to my website, uh, which is you know robertkerbeck.com, and um, you know there's the proverbial buy now button, and if you click on that, it, all the places you can buy ruse will come up. Um, I always encourage people to buy books from your local bookstore because if you don't buy it from your local bookstore, the local bookstore is not going to be there very long. Um, sure. But you can also buy it from, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, you know, anywhere, anywhere you want, you can buy the book. Right. There's an audio book, which I narrate. And I hope people enjoy that because, you know, it's my story. Fantastic. And that's Rob, robertkerbeck.com. That's K-E-R-B-E-C-K. Uh, for Kerbeck. Um, before we go, Robert, um, I know that you're, is it uh, accurate to say you're half Armenian on your dad's side? I'm one quarter Armenian. Uh, My father was half Armenian. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Okay. But it's and, a very, it's a very powerful quarter. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I know that you're very proud of that. Um, and uh, have you ever been to Armenia? I haven't been to Armenia, but I've been uh, planning a trip and uh, my brother and I are going to go. Um, and I've been working on my Armenian. Um, and as you know, it's not an easy language. No, uh, it's not. Very challenging. And, I'm, and I've been learning uh, conversational Armenian. And now I've crossed over to the really hard part, which is learning the alphabet. Right. Um, right? And so I can recognize signs when we're there. And uh, boy, the, that's, that is hard. You know, it's like going back, you know. I have these little notebooks where I'm drawing the letters, you know, like, you know, you'd like a first grader would do and a kindergartner would do. Uh, well, so you're it's... trying. That's what's important. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate Fantastic. it. But, well, yeah. I, I've been to Armenia many times. It's, it's just a dream. Uh, it's such uh -huh. an incredible experience. I can't wait for you to go and, uh, you know, experience it for yourself. And, um, uh, yeah. Is there any, anything you'd like to add? Maybe a question I didn't ask that I should have? No, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm just grateful that uh, I'm here with you. I'm grateful uh, the Armenian community has been so supportive. You know, they were really supportive. My first, my, my previous book, Malibu Burning, 
was about the terrible uh, Woolsey fire. Um, some people call it the Malibu fire that burned down half of Malibu in 2018. Right. Um, and um, very sad story. Um, uh, two of the people that died in that fire was an Armenian man. Uh, he died trying to rescue his mother and they were wow. burned uh, in their car. Oh. And that's a whole chapter in Malibu burning. And um, and I've been I've become very close with his widow, who's been very supportive of the process of me writing about, you know, the worst day of her life. Um, but she wanted the story told. It was important to her to honor Anthony, uh, Anthony Baclian. Um, So um, so, yeah, so it's you know, it's it's really gratifying um, that people put a lot of trust in me. Um, and, um, and are enjoying what I'm doing, you know, with the written word. That's fantastic. Congrats on, on your successes. And uh, thank you for uh, being on the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Vic. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Robert. That was my interview with Robert Kerbeck, uh, whose uh, second book is just as successful as the first one. He's a best-selling author uh, of Malibu Burning and his new book, Roos, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Robert, thank you very much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, good luck to you, although you don't need it. The Blunt Post with Vic.